Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, welcome everybody back to another episode here at The Basement Binge. This should be really interesting. We are talking about the strange movie that is Too Fast, Too Furious. And I'm joined once again by the great Matt from Matt Goes to the Movies. Thank you a bunch for being here, Matt. Yeah, I mean, Too Fast, Too Furious. Wow. Uh, before th- This almost paves the way for the way that the series is going to go with ridiculousness looking back at it. Um, so I'm very I'm very excited to actually talk about this movie for a number of reasons. Yeah, so th- yeah. thank you for having me be a part of this. Yeah, I'm very, very excited to. For those of you that don't know, who haven't listened to another episode and you randomly decide to listen to this one, I don't know why, but Matt is a great friend of mine that I've developed through podcasting. He has a great show, Matt Goes to the Movies, that you should des- definitely check out. We just released an episode on the first Loki Disney Plus episode, which with matt and then our other friend rob that was a ton of fun so yeah go check out matt goes to the movies wherever you get your podcast but we will get into too fast too furious with the very very beginning segment which is our two cents spoiler free immediate reaction within the two minute time period we have so few things to say about these movies without spoilers that like last time we all did it in under a minute so i mean i'll pull my timer out just for tradition's sake but matt i'll let you go first the, the floor is yours for two minutes. All right. Well, you know, Too Fast, Too Furious, a movie that certainly had hype going into it. Uh, and again, I was, you know, around and growing up when these movies were first coming out. So initially upon watching Too Fast, Too Furious, I wasn't, you know, overly let down. I wasn't overly like, oh, my God, this was the greatest thing ever. But looking back on it now, there are things about this movie that I just go, boy, what were they thinking? Um, you replace main char- you replace main characters, characters that you introduce do not have any of the charm or charisma that I felt some of the original cast did. There's certainly, in my view, a lacking protagonist for this movie uh, because this movie is driven by a protagonist. Um, and all of it just does not add up. I really liked the first movie. I think I, I like it. You know, I definitely liked it more than you and Rob when we did the recap of that. But with Too Fast, Too Furious, it's just a movie that misses the mark for me on a bunch of levels, whether it be dialogue, whether it be the score that they use, uh, the characters that are involved in this movie. A lot of it does not work for me. And that's as spoiler free as i can be talking about this movie so i I have to end it there because 
it it has to be spoilers when talking about why you do or don't like this movie. Yeah, it's this is going to be interesting to talk about. Um, for those of the those for those of you listening who don't know, I've never seen a single Fast and Furious movie before starting this binge through this road to Fast Nine, as I'm calling it. And so we've done the episode on the Fast and the Furious, which that was an interesting movie to watch, but a super super fun episode to record with Matt and Rob. And now you're moving on to Too Fast, Too Furious. I'm still struggling, especially now, to understand the appeal that this has as a huge box office success. Like, I, I can kind of understand why the first one led to a box office success that allowed the second one to be made, but how did the second one grant a third one? I, it blows my mind because it just it's already reinventing itself as a genre and not in an interesting way. Like, it seems like... From a production standpoint, the Universal or whoever it is, Paramount, whoever makes these movies was like, hey, our first one made a bunch of money. Let's make a second one. But we can't hire the same actors or the same directors or the same writers. So, like, we'll just kind of figure it out. We'll just call it Too Fast, Too Furious and, you know, or Fast and Furious 2 or whatever. And just because it has the name, it will be okay. Oh, and we'll make sure that we have, like, a few driving scenes and it's about cars. But it's not really about cars or street racing but we'll like carry over the same genre tropes that we have that we've invented for ourselves. And it's just like, why am I watching this? It feels very much like a, like a, like an action thriller trying to be thing that feels very reminiscent of the early two thousands. Like it feels like this is trying to be an early two thousands action thriller, even with the editing and stuff like that with like trying to cram in fast and furious nonsense. And it just, the two (laughs) don't blend together. So yeah, this is going to be interesting to talk about. I don't know what else to say completely spoiler-free. So, yeah, we'll move on from the two cents here. And we'll move right on to our next segment, which is going to be interesting because there's just two of us. Rum- Rummage for the Rotten, which is yeah. where the new segment that I have here when I have guests on the show where we get to pick and guess who we think is going to be the individual who likes this movie the least or the rotten, so to speak. Um Matt, you can vote for yourself. This is going to be hard to pick um, between you and I. I mean, because I, I like you, I could vote for myself. I'm going to I'm going to say because because watching it, I, I genuinely think in the vague text that we've had to one another that you're going to like it less than me, because I do think that there are some parts that I I like about it. And I've also only seen it once. So my opinion of it isn't totally molded like yours is. You know, I think I think I probably will like it slightly less than you, but I think it's going to be I think it's going to be very close. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge gap um, in what we're going to rate this later on, but I would say I'll probably be slightly underneath you in where you rate this. Yeah, I, I think we're consistent there, so we'll see what happens. So. That's Rummage for the Rotten. We're both betting on Matt to like this a little bit less than I do, but I don't think either of us are going to have glowing things to say about it. So we'll move right along into the next segment and get into the spoilers. Before we do that, I just wanted to give Matt a chance to announce his show. In addition to say, here the Basement Binge, like always, please go to podchaser.com slash the Basement Binge. Leave a review on this episode or any episode you've listened to to enter a chance to win free screen pass through movies anywhere on me. Additionally, check out some other episodes. We did the. Uh, the first Fast and Furious movie, that was super interesting. Cruella episodes, Quiet Place Part 2, those are all super fun. So, Matt, the floor is yours. What's happening over with your show? 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, uh, we are on Matt Goes to the Movies. You can get that wherever you can find podcasts, every major platform. We recently just did Loki. We're going to be doing that every single Thursday to recap those episodes, which we've had a blast doing uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision. So Loki was a very interesting episode and a lot of fun, certainly a lot of curiosity with that. So I look forward to continuing doing those. Uh, I mentioned on the last episode that I was, uh, you know, fortunate to be with on Harrison for his show, The Basement Binge. I will have Spiral from the Book of Saw coming out. I have my recording for The Dark Knight um, in the works right now that'll be coming out in roughly two weeks um, where I'll talk about The Dark Knight. And I also do intend on plan. Uh, I intend on doing uh, the Equilibrium film that I talked about briefly on the last episode with Harrison, the Fast and the Furious. So those are just a couple things coming up that will be uh, happening on Matt Goes to the Movies. Equilibrium review. Wow, that should be exciting. I'm looking forward to that. We've uh, we've talked about that movie a lot and. Uh... Way back from the very first episode Matt was on, he mentioned that, talked about how good it was. Uh, I've been slow to checking it out just because of how busy I am, but I'm looking forward to that episode. I better watch it now before that episode comes out. So, well, we'll move right along to the next segment, which is Pick Your Poison. And now we're totally getting into spoilers here. This might give away our thoughts on uh, who the rotten is going to be, but Pick Your Poison is an interesting ranking or rating scale here at the Basement Binge. And where we pick from four options how we would interact with the film after this watch. To never watch it again, which is straightforward. To stream it, which is if it's on a streaming service you're already paying for and you're just looking for something to watch and it might fill that hole for you. Rent it, occasionally pay a few bucks for it and watch it in, when you're in the mood or at the top of the list to buy it and pay the full price to watch it as much as you want. I'll, I'll go first and say I'm never watching this movie again. Like, I will probably... I will never watch this unless somebody's like... I would say, like, unless someone invited me to with him. But even then, I don't think I would. I, I would never watch this movie if it, except for an assignment. Like, if I was assigned to watch it, I would. Like, I don't hate it that much. But I'm never going to choose to watch this. What, what do you think, Matt? Well, I, I just love the fact that you said, well, if someone invited me and you were like, well, no, like, you would be like, no, nah, I'm not going to come over. Like, <laughs> because you're watching too fast. Yeah. Too fast. Like, never mind. I don't want to hang out. I'm like, not interested. <laughs> um, no, I just, you know, I watched this again uh, just to kind of brush up for this review. But yeah, I could never see myself watching this movie again. Even though the fact that, you know, Harrison, you and I both said if this is a series that you eventually start to like with, you know, you have five more movies that you have to get through and then six with nine. Uh, if this is a series you eventually end up liking, you would purchase it just because you would want to have the set because like me, it's just like, well, I kind of have to own that. There's just this thing that compels me to own a series that I like. So eventually I will own this movie. But I would never throw this movie in again. I would probably skip this if I decided to watch all of these films again. Um, that is probably where I would be on this. So yeah, I, I would never watch this movie again unless it was for some reason like an absolute group setting where it was just, hey, you know, let's go through. And the group that I was with was like, well, we have to watch all of them. On my own accord, I will never watch this film again. Yeah. 
I, I think you're watched it because I assigned you. That's why I use the word is because I felt like I like assigned you to watch this and you're a trooper to do that. So yeah, this is just an interesting film. It yeah, it, it makes me appreciate like what the first one did more by seeing this, like how simple the first one was. Because this like like I said, it tries to reinvent itself and like do something besides just be like street racing, which I know the series totally changes completely in the future, but it, it, it seems like this is your second movie and you're already giving up on what the f- people liked about the first one. I just thought was weird. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting Harrison where this movie does, and we'll get into this a little bit more. I'm sure this movie does kind of pave the way though for how the series eventually shifts, not in the same like outlandish things that happen later on, but this really kind of set the stage for what it was going to be, even though this essentially at the time took the franchise in another different direction because of how poorly this was received, which I found interesting, even though it changed what this was going to be. It also, when they came back, set the stage for what this series is now. Whoa, interesting. I, I'm i intrigued to go move forward into it because, yeah, I I struggle to understand the people who made the decisions to make this movie what it is. So, And I realized something, to, to kind of move on to the next segment here, out of Pick Your Poison, I failed as the host of The Basement Binge in something that is key to all things about binging franchises here at The Basement Binge. And I never ranked! the movies beforehand we forgot last episode to give a ranking so that i'm totally like pulling this out off the top of my head spur of the moment here i know you've seen the films before so i'll kind of give you a moment to to gather what you would just kind of throw out your ranking is off the top of your head and then we'll get to it at the end of the the series because i forgot to do this last episode i'm so upset with myself like that's like a key thing to the basement binge so I've never seen any of these films. I've seen the first two now because obviously we're doing the episode on that. So if I were to like throw out a quick ranking, just this is totally guessing. I have no idea what this is going to be. And I'm also like typing this as we go. So I think it's going to be Fast 7 just because I th- – and I'll give my reasons as we go. I think I'm starting at the top of the list. And Actually, I'll start at the bottom. I'll start at the bottom of the list. Obviously, bottom of the list is Fast and Furious 2. That, that without a doubt is th- – this is just not good. I'm not – not particularly loving this. And so, yeah. Fast 2. Then I'm going to go with uh, the third. No, actually, hold on. I'm going to go with the fourth one just because I've heard like that one wasn't good either. I, I have no idea. And then Fast and Furious 1. And then 3, Tokyo Drift, because I've heard that people like it, but I also heard that people haven't liked that. So, again, I have no idea. Then 6. Then 8 for whatever reason, and then five, because I've heard actually that five is really fun and like a super engaging film and like a pretty good action film. Uh, And then seven, I'm putting seven at the top because I've heard a lot of people talk about how they really like that film, especially how it handled the passing of Paul Walker in real life and transitioning over into the cinematic world. So I don't know. I'm hoping that five and seven are as good as people tell me they are in the own vein of what the Fast and Furious is. So from bottom to top, it would be two, four, one, three, six, eight, five, seven. I guess I could give it the name. So too fast, too furious, fast and furious four, then fast and furious three, Tokyo Drift, then fast and furious six, fat the fate of the furious eight, 
then Fast Five, then Furious Seven. That that that's what I'm thinking. That's probably gonna change, I, but we'll we'll see. What do you think, Matt? What what is your ranking off the top of your head for the moment? Yeah, so um, my ranking would be, if you don't mind going from first to actually last uh, yeah, seven. Um, they seven is almost what should have been a perfect wrap to this series. They find a way in a Fast and Furious movie that the series is so over the top to actually make Seven feel like somewhat of a real life. This is how the series should end. They pay an unbelievable respect to the tragic passing of Paul Walker. It it is done so well that you almost forget the ridiculousness that happens in the movie. And I was almost like in awe of how they found a way to make that movie so good and so respectful. And it it does seem like if the series was going to end, that would have been the absolute perfect way to cap off this series. Um, But money talks and they're still going. So, but fast seven would be number one. Fast Five is number two. It injected a lot of life into the series. It made it very fun, brought in some new characters that really dominate the screen and have incredible chemistry with the original cast. Fast Five would easily be number two. Tokyo Drift, for me, actually will be number three. Going back and re-watching Tokyo Drift, it is a fun movie with a... A pretty good story, actually, at its core. And again, really good characters that I actually liked um, and really came out with one of the most beloved characters of the series in Tokyo Drift. At number four, I would say that uh, Fast and Furious 6 is at number four. At number five, the first Fast and Furious movie. Um, At what was that? I'm sorry. Did I just say that was number number five? So you're at number number six five now. Yes. So number six would be Fast and Furious, which is technically the fourth. I would say Fast Eight is number seven, and Too Fast, Too Furious is definitely last. Oh, okay. So I've I was kind of right about Fast and Furious four, but eight, The Fate of the Furious, is not good. <laughs> It, you know, it's not that it's not good. It just, again, I, I guess, what is good? Like, are these movies right. good movies? No, they're not. Is the fate of the furious as fun as some of these other movies? No, it's not. So it, it's not any worse of a movie than any. Well, I mean, too fast, too furious is the worst for me out of the bunch, but. Um, it's just that it doesn't heal. It doesn't have the same charm. It's it's not as fun as the other movies. That's why I rank it as low as I do. So to round out Matt's ranking, I got to type it all out here so we can you know follow it up after we re- review all of these movies. So starting at the worst to the best, he has Too Fast, Too Furious, The Fate of the Furious, which is number eight, right? And then Fast and Furious 4, then Fast and Furious, the original then Fast and Furious 6, then Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, then Fast 5, and then Furious 7. So I guess I have heard good things about Fast 5, Furious 7, and Tokyo Drift. 
I also heard total side note. This is totally unimportant. That that Tokyo Drift is Christopher Nolan's favorite Fast and Furious movie, and he's apparently a big fan of the series, which just blows my mind. That like a writer and director like Christopher Nolan <laughs> would like this series, but whatever. So I'm interested to see what Tokyo Drift's all about. Yeah, he Nolan has like said he loves Tokyo Drift. I'm I'm so beyond intrigued to see why. So. Yeah, there's our rankings, our impromptu rankings, as they should have been last episode with Rob's. So yeah, we'll we'll follow up with it. If we get Rob on another episode, we'll have to do his ranking, and we'll see how it goes at the end of this. And I, I have to say that that's kind of a bummer that Furious 7 seems so good, and then the fate of the Furious 8 is so bad, supposedly, and I haven't... I mean, I'm sorry if anybody doesn't want to hear this, but I haven't heard great things about Furious 9 or whatever it's called, Fast 9, from people who are a fan of the series. So I, I, I don't know. We'll get into it. Let's, let's move on to the next segment, Live Up. So this is where we talk about expectations going into the film. Obviously, I've never seen this film before, so I'm going to talk about what my expectations were for the film and if it was able to live up to those expectations. And then I'll kind of have Matt share his, especially with his insight of, of kind of growing up with these films while they were a cultural thing. So my expectations for Too Fast, Too Furious... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com were extremely low because of comments that Matt and Rob had made from recording the first episode. Not to say that they like ruined anything. Like genuinely, I just, I had no thoughts about Too Fast, Too Furious. I thought that the DVD cover was really weird. And I was like, whatever, I've heard absolutely nothing about this one. I have no idea how it's going to be a sequel to the first. And then they said it wasn't good. So I was expecting it not to be good. So did it live up to those expectations? Yes. And no, like, yes, it lived up to it that it was not good and I didn't enjoy it, but it also kind of exceeded it that there was more to like about it than I expected. And so maybe I might not be the rotten here because I was expecting it to be so bad. And so in that regard, it wasn't as bad as I thought, but it is most definitely bad, which is interesting. I also have to say that this feels like the most ridiculous, self-indulgent thing ever. If anyone doesn't know, the DVD, I'm borrowing it from my sister-in-law, I put in the DVD. And it gives you an option, almost like an old school video game, to choose a car in like the most junky, like 480p CGI car. And you can pick from Paul Walker's green car, uh, Roman or Tyrese's purple car, and then you can also choose Suki's car. And it's like you, you choose one of those three cars and then you get a different menu 
based off which card you choose. I the DVD started. I was like, what is going on? Like, is this the right thing? So it's just, it's so crazy to, it, it what it is. Like it it just to have that be that your first interaction with the film. Like it just it immediately set the expectations right. So anyway, Rob, what were, what are your expectations of the film and and or I guess what's the legacy of it living up to it? Well, my expectations for the film were not incredibly high because of, you know, being around when this film was first announced and knowing that like Vin Diesel wasn't coming back and just hearing some of the things that were happening. I was like, well, I'll go see it, but it seems like it's going to be something else entirely. So I didn't expect a whole heck of a lot from it. Um so I didn't have any expectations for it to be good, but I also did not expect. Um, and again, this is on. Re- well, I guess I should say at first I didn't mind it. I was just like, oh, OK, that was something different. So when I originally watched it, it was OK. Yeah, that was that was a thing. Wasn't horrible. Um, let's see what they let's see what they do again, because, you know, they're probably going to make another one out of this. Watching it again, even relatively, probably within one year of seeing it, I just started to see a lot of cracks in the movie, really start to take a look at the dialogue and what was happening. And it just it, it just doesn't work. So again, on multiple rewatches, this is just a movie that, you know, any hype that I have for this movie is is nothing. Um, I hope that answers that question. Yeah, yeah, it does. It answers perfectly. It's it's a tough question to answer about this film. So, does this film live up to the expectations and legacy that it is? You know, what is this? Almost ten years later. I think yeah. I think it's a legacy of, of like. I think for people, the Fast and the Furious franchise, particularly the first few films, have this regard of being like extremely two thousand ish. You know, just like a time capsule of the two thousands and really horrible editing and super cheesy and not realistic and this and that and this and that. And I think that all of those extreme stereotypes of the whole franchise comes majorly from this film because this is the one that so many people easily dislike that it's easy to draw those stereotypes across the whole series. That's that's what I would assume as I'm now suddenly a Fast and Furious expert after two films. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting thing for it to live up in a bad way. Anyway, we'll move on to the next segment, binge points. So these are Easter eggs, details, trivia, behind the scenes stuff, any things we want to mention that uh, are, or, or just things that, that can't fit into any other segment. I have to say that before we were sitting down to record, I was trying to read through every article and interview and, and behind the scenes stuff that I could get. And there was just genuinely nothing interesting besides the fact that the amount of actual driving and stunt work that was done for this film is shocking. I, I would never have guessed. I, I'm reading tons of these, these interviews with people and, and behind-the-scenes details that you can find on various sources, and there's lots of comments about how there was a lot of stunt work put into it, like the bridge jump that's kind of the beginning of the film. Those were actual cars that jumped an actual bridge, and they built roll cages into them to keep the actors safe, except for Suki or whatever her name is, her convertible. A roll cage would have been too obvious. So they made a remote control car of like the real life-size car and put a dummy in the driver's seat so they could actually drump it. And it's like, 
I would have never guessed that. Watching that sequence in the film, I would have never guessed. Like, it's just so weird the amount of actual impressive stunt work that went to it. I mean, there's a lot of driving that Paul Walker did, but I I would have no idea if I wouldn't have read this. Maybe the exception of like the boat jump at the end of the film, you can tell that that's obvious. And there's you can tell that some stunts are done practically, but the way that they're like destroyed in the edit and the constant like zooming in on the actor's face when they're clearly on a green screen or clearly not in the same location as the wide shots of the car just ruin like any actual work that was done, which I think is so interesting that like, why would you do all that just to ruin it? I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit too harsh. I just found it fascinating how much actual practical stunt work was done for this film. Did did you know that, Matt? Or am, am I just being harsh? No, I mean... <sighs> Again, there's there's just so many things about this movie that don't work. There's a lot of green screen work. You know, it is cool to see, you know, see things like that with the actual bridge stunt and everything. But it really, again, is just for anything that this movie does good. And that includes like hearing about stunt work and like, oh, they wanted to make that realistic. It's there's four things right in front of it that are bad decisions for this movie uh whether it's the green screen whether it's the dialogue it so you can never really up in at least in my view you can't really appreciate some of the good things about this movie because again one step forward is negated by just taking four steps backwards with other aspects of this movie for me well said. I think that's that's incredibly well said. And that, that's a good point that it's not that the practical stunts aren't done well or that they're not good or that they're more interesting in another film. It's just that a practical stunt isn't what makes a film good. It's all the things around that practical stunt. Like, for example, the Mission Impossible series, like Tom Cruise hanging on the side of a plane is amazing to watch. And that's like super duper impressive. But it's it's memorable and it's engaging because it's a part of the story where you like compare that to something like Mission Impossible 2 where he like is just randomly rock climbing at the beginning of the film, which like, cool, he's rock climbing, but like, why? And I think it's, it's a, it, precisely what you're saying that these, these practical stunts are great, but there are so much before and after that that just ruins it that you're not even thinking about the practical stunt anymore. You're thinking about the horrible line that Tyrese Gibson just said or whatever, you know? Yeah, um, and even casting, too, like, there was, you know, casting choices were funny. They uh, also offered Ja Rule to come back for this movie, um, who, interestingly enough, got paid $15,000 to be in the first one, and they offered him $500,000 to be in this movie and play the character that Ludacris ended up playing, uh, Tej. And he turned that down because, as stated in interviews, he was just too, you know, too big headed. He wouldn't return calls. Um, So some of the casting choices were like fallen into as well. Now, Ludacris has remained with the series. But uh, again, there's just a lot of trouble with this film in all aspects, whether it's casting and people not wanting to return there's just so much wrong here. Yeah, didn't you say that Vin Diesel didn't return kind of because he thought he was 
going to be like the next action star and so he didn't think that they were paying him enough or that he didn't need this franchise anymore didn't you say something like that last episode yeah there's there's like two parts to why he didn't return number one when he first read the script and he has said in like later interviews um one he said the script sucked um and he just didn't want to be a part of it and there was also the fact of like because the script sucks so bad like I can't be in this movie because I'm going to be a big deal. Um, and if I'm in this movie, the script sucks. I'm going to get bogged down and it's going to hurt the momentum that I have. Um, which again is funny because now fast and furious is, you know, Vin Diesel's it's his baby. It's his franchise. It's keeping him alive. Right. Like he controls the majority of what this franchise is. So, it's it was funny to hear him talk about how he didn't need this franchise when this is the thing that he is most known for probably in his life in terms of movie roles. Um, if you said Vin Diesel, I'm sure everybody would say, oh, he's Dominic Toretto from the Fast and Furious. So, you know, he had problems with it. He thought the script sucked. He did say later that he wishes he would have actually stayed on and fought for the second one to try and, you know, argue to have the script rewritten and make it a better film. But yeah, ultimately he decided not to come back. Yeah. I, I, and something I was reading just kind of in line with that, I thought it was interesting. And, um, it, well, there's, I'll just read it here. And in like 2015, he had an interview and Apparently, he turned down a $25 million offer from Universal Studios to return for this film. Like $25 million, you got to either really hate it or really think you're great enough turning that down. I, I, I would think, but I'm not Vin Diesel, so who knows. But his reasoning that he said, he said that the premise of the film just did not work. And these are his exact words. He said, Universal Studios didn't take a Francis Ford Coppola approach to it. They approached it like they did sequels in the 80s and 90s when they would dump a new story where they would drum up a new story unrelated for the most part and slap the same name on it. And it seems like that is kind of his, his idea and his, his protection over the series moving forward is that he is like, he was so against that. And now he feels like this is his franchise that he's got to protect. So it's interesting to see how the turn of events happens. Oh, for sure. So yeah. Do you, do you have any other bench points? I really don't have any. I, really tried to look and it just was like i i'm not interested in any of this stuff yeah no i mean it yeah no i, I just there's not a lot good to say about this movie yeah yeah it, it it is interesting so we'll move on to the next i mean this should be really interesting which is least and likes where we talk about our least favorite scene and our favorite scene but because of how this conversation is already going let's do it backwards where we talk about our favorite doesn't have to be our favorite or just the thing that is leak least disliked i guess um our, our most liked segment of the film uh matt you take it away what's your what's your like for this um do the credits count <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> no because even then i can't stand the music that's oh my playing God, different horrible no but um i would have to say i think my favorite scene 
from this movie would be, I think it's a pretty cool visual towards the end when they're going to make the run for uh, Cole Hauser's um, character. When they all go, when they go into the garage because they need to switch cars to get away from the FBI and have them like their cars are being tracked throughout the movie. I think that is actually a fun scene. They pull into this, you know, garage and then they're being tracked and out of nowhere, just however many cars it is, they just start all pulling out of this garage, taking off in different directions to distract the police cars, distract the helicopters so that um, Brian and Roman Pierce can get away and still drop this, uh, this package off that they're smuggling. So I think that's actually a pretty cool scene. It's fun. Um, Some pretty good visuals there. And that's, that would be my, my favorite scene from this movie. I'm going to have to 100% agree. When that scene happened, I was like, this is great. Like, this is what I want more of. It's funny and ridiculous and kind of enjoyable. Like, it, they pull into the garage, and then there's, like, the, they're waiting to see what happens. And then it, like, I, I immediately thought it was like, oh, they're going to open the garage, and, like, the four cars are going to come out. Like, I was expecting it to be the two um, muscle cars that they had and then the two street racing cars, right? So four cars total. And then, like, the trucks come barreling out and, like, push all the cop cars away. It's like, okay, yeah, that does make sense. Like, they needed to do that. But then they open the doors again and just, like, hundreds of cars come out. And I was like, okay, that that's clever. That's fun. Like, I was not expecting that. I really, really enjoyed that, that part of it. And it, I love how long they lingered on it. Like, it wasn't like, oh, here's a bunch of cars going out. Let's cut back to the characters. Like, they, like, lingered on, here's a bunch of cars, and let's just show the madhouse that would be a bunch of cars driving around, and I, I really liked that. The other thing that is just like a split-second thing that I really appreciate this film doing, at the end, when they jump the car onto the boat to save whatever the girl's name is. I don't See, this is the thing. I don't even remember the characters' names because they were just so uninteresting. Uh, Monica, is that her name? Monica Fuentes? I'm IMDb in it. Yep. So, Are you so, talking about Eva Mendez's character? Yes, her. Yes. Yep. So, so they jump on the boat. They're trying to save her from Verone, the bad guy. And he, Verone, so, so they like crash the car into the top of the boat, which was kind of cool. But then Verone kind of walks up from under the boat and is pointing the gun at him. And um, Brian and Roman are in the car. and They're like scrambling, scrambling for the gun. I appreciate that he actually successfully got the gun and shot the bad guy before the bad guy shot him. Like how many movies have we seen where the tension is like, oh, no, the bad guy's about to get us. And I'm like inches away from the gun or whatever to stop the bad guy. And then like you don't get it. Like I appreciate how quick it was like, oh, here's a gun. Boom, we got him. I Maybe it's because it just, I haven't seen that done that quickly. That super, super small moment that I was like, oh, hey, like they didn't do the dumb thing that norm, movies normally do. So those would be the, the two positives I have to say about the film. If I had to give another positive, it would also be the initial first racing scene with, with Brian in his, his skyline, I think it is. Not that I think that scene is super interesting or done really well. It's just, it feels like it's, fits the mold of Fast and Furious, like, including with the ridiculous NOS, you know, like, light speed effect, the horrible editing, the wide shots of the cars, and then the close-ups of the actors. Like, it just feels very ridiculous in the vein of the first film, and it felt natural, and then it suddenly just, like, ditches that to be, like, some weird undercover thriller movie 
it's not very exciting. So, yeah, let's let's move on to our least favorite parts, which I'm sure we'll have plenty for. So, Matt, feel free to mention a few if you've got multiple least least favorite parts. Um. Well, my least favorite part would be almost the overall story, and it could be broken up into a couple of parts, but. As ridiculous as these movies get down the line, there still is some semblance of a story as to what they're doing. Um, Number one, if everybody knows that Brian let Toretto go, would he just be released from the force? Would he, did he just quit? Why was he not like, why does he not have charges against him? And they mention it later where they try to recruit him to do this mission. And he's like, well, what if I don't want to do it? And the guy brings out this manila envelope and he's like, well, here's all the things we have on you in California or whatever he said. And it's like, then why haven't you done anything before? Like, why is this character of Brian just doing street races and getting calls at what looks like 12 o'clock at night to come race. Um, It just doesn't make sense how this comes to play. And then the FBI guy as well, anytime he's on screen, like you're supposed to be the FBI and you're supposed to be smart. This guy's an idiot. Like at one point, (laughs) like they show up because he thinks Roman and Brian are running and in no way, shape or form, thinks that especially because he's got somebody working on the inside you would know that they are being tasked with a job to see who's going to work for this guy yet he shows up at the boatyard to create unneeded tension and then a scene later where he tries to go after roman for shooting at him like i i hate to say there's no logic in a fast and furious movie that in the ninth one admits that it sends a car into space Um, but, but like this movie was trying to be some, like it had not yet embraced the wackiness that is the fast and furious. This was supposed to be a story, but your characters are idiots and nothing like it doesn't make sense that he would not know that they're being tested and would go there to almost blow their cover and create a scene that later creates another scene. So. That's some of my initial thoughts. Yeah, it's interesting that you talked about the the, the part, the, the beginning of the film with Paul Walker's character, Brian, not really having any consequences for his actions in the first film, which is interesting because on the DVD, there's a short, it's called The Turbocharged Prelude, and it's like a six-minute, a six-minute, I, I don't want to call the film because it's not a six minute video, like wannabe homemade video that was done with a super small budget. There's literally no dialogue in it. It's just music and a bunch of montage scenes cut together in like the worst way possible. Like it, it is directed so badly and it's just, it shows Paul Walker running from the cops and switching out cars constantly and going to a bunch of different areas and racing a bunch of people constantly to earn money to then buy different cars and travel from place to place undetected by the cops. And then it it literally goes up to the point where he buys the Nissan Skyline that has the driver's 
that uh, has the driver's the driver's side. What am I trying to say? It has a steering wheel on the other side of the car. That's what I'm trying to say. That skyline. It shows him getting that car and painting it that color and then meeting Tej and getting into that racing world, which I'm not, I'm not saying that that like, oh, it justifies the complaint you have. I'm 100% agreeing. Why isn't that in this movie? Like, why is that a weird six-minute home video type thing that's on a DVD as an extra? Like, why isn't that part of the movie? Because that's way more interesting than anything else. Like, I would have, I, I was solely expecting after the first film that Too Fast, Too Furious was going to be Brian on the run and that he was going to be too fast and too furious to be caught. Like, I know that that's kind of silly, but like, that's genuinely what I thought it was going to be about. And that we get like a six minute music video about it. And it, I, I just think is a stupid decision. Yeah, I would totally agree with, uh, with that assessment. Also, why randomly give Brian a car where he is driving, like, it's like a British car, or whatever, where the steering wheel is on the other side, on the right side of the car? Why just, like, randomly do that? Like, yeah, uh, I think it just goes in line with the fact that this whole movie is, like, the whole movie is random. Um, it, re it really is. It's just, it's a lot of random events it kicks into high gear like out of like out of nowhere that's one of my other complaints is it doesn't feel like a natural progression um brian and roman end up working for ah oh, jeez what what what's the character's name again so uh, this is Ver, the, the verone yes verone that, that's how un you know how forgettable he is you know they work for verone they're telling the fbi and there's a scene where Brian and Roman are talking and out of nowhere, Brian's like, yeah, man, it's getting thick real quick and we're going to probably need an escape plan. We got to think of something. And it's like, wait, what? Like, you literally just met this guy. Like, you literally just met this guy. When, like, when did this get thick and you need an escape plan? Um, it, it just, that's out of nowhere. And then also... Uh, Harrison, if you remember, when they go to the boatyard to pick up the red Ferrari, which, again, can we just really quickly sidebar about how ridiculous the scene is where, like, Tyrese has to take his shirt off to punch through the window? <laughs> like, like, okay, like, what? Like, I, I don't know. Like, why was that necessary? And it would have like, it's not necessary. <laughs> it's just this weird transition for some reason, but they go to the boatyard, they get the package, which ends up being a cigar, which was actually kind of funny. Um, when he opens that envelope, I did chuckle at that when I first yeah, saw I this, thought that, like that made him a good villain. I was like, yeah, this is a good villain who could be part of like an intense, you know, criminal thriller. But then that he, you know, yeah. Th then there's the rest of the movie after that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they get the package. They bring it back to him. He shoots at the cop. So if the cops were chasing them because they thought they were running and the cars are tracked, can you explain to me how did Brian and Roman end up being able to go to Tej's garage and ask for the mechanic to look under the hood to see if their cars are wired and what they can do about it. Why would the FBI not just follow them there? Like, 
Where's the transition? It, it feels like nothing is consistent in this film. Like it starts with like it feeling like, oh yeah, we're still seeing street racing. We're still seeing that type of thing. And then suddenly everybody's on the run from the cops, which is, you know, consistent with street racing. And it's like, oh no, Brian was caught by the cops and now he's being recruited to be undercover again. And then he gets to pick whoever he wants. And it suddenly goes from like being about street racing to being like an undercover buddy cop movie that when it wants to be a street racing movie, it is. And when it wants to be a cop movie, it is. And when it wants to be like a criminal thriller, it is. But it's never all three at the same time. Like it just kind of picks and chooses when it wants to have logic. Well, that's not a great word. But when it wants to have consistency with that type of film, it, it just randomly goes in and out of all the time. And it just, it, it's not good. It doesn't flow well. Yeah, you know, it also does the typical you know, boy meets girl and out of nowhere, there's just like this instant attraction, but it's not even, you know, it's not the attraction of, well, geez, that's a good looking girl. And like, Hey, that's a good looking guy. Like these two characters, like act like they have this deep seated, like love for each other. It's just, I hate when movies do that. And this movie, you know, this movie didn't need it just to cause some, you know, tension scenes with Brian and Verone. Like, oh, she's beautiful, isn't she? You got some balls, kid. Like, come on. Like, it's just it's manufactured tension for the sake of having tension. It's not warranted, um, which is another problem I have with this movie. I, I agree. I felt like the only good scene of tension in this movie was the scene with the rat and the bucket. But that's just, just that scene is nasty. And, and, and same thing, like that just is so out of nowhere. Like suddenly this Verone guy goes from being kind of like a joke who is clearly being outdone by the police force and some two random street racers who are suddenly now working undercover. Like he's being outdone by these losers to suddenly go to like a super kind of terrifying evil drug smuggler person and it's like well where was this guy the rest of the movie like he's there for like one scene and then the rest of it he's just like some booty smacking idiot like i i just i really don't get any of it and i don't get any of the motivations of the characters like paul walker is kind of consistent his character brian because obviously he was a cop before and it kind of feels like yeah he has some semblance of right and wrong and some moral code that he lives by but he also loves street racing and, you know, when he can combine the two, he gets really invested. And he also falls for a girl super fast. But, like, why is Roman so suddenly motivated to be so committed to this undercover role? Like, it's, he's just on probation or parole or whatever he's on. You know, like, why risk your life to get an ankle bracelet off? Like, just go back to the demolition derby. Be like, nah, this guy's going to kill me. Get Like, send me back. I, I don't know. I just, I don't know, man. There's a lot to complain about this movie. None of it's consistent. None of it makes sense. And it just, it picks and chooses what it wants to be at random moments and is never consistent with itself. 100%. And I'm also just really frustrated that we could have got like a cool movie with a lot of sweet racing when it was literally just like Brian's character on the run and also Vin Diesel's character, Dom's character on the run. Like the two of them on the run, completely separate from each other in different places. I feel like that would have been way more interesting as a sequel, but we didn't get that. So, and now I guess for the next one, we're off to Tokyo and I've heard something that it like totally messes up with the timeline. 
I have no idea. I know absolutely nothing about it. I'm just totally intrigued to see what happens there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tokyo Drift, which is the third one, actually is one, two. So Fast and Furious. So the Fast and the Furious is one in the timeline. Then there's two Fast, two Furious. Then I believe it goes Fast and Furious, which is the fourth one, is the third. Fast Five is the fourth. And then Tokyo Drift is actually the the sixth one. Wait, so they made Tokyo Drift that happens like years in the future before they made four and five and six? Yeah, the yes, the way that they introduce <laughs> yeah, the way that they introduce characters later and this was not planned like they really did like a retcon with the oh, okay. timeline. Um it's like they had the time zone and they they jump back in time. Yeah. Um but yeah, when Fast and uh Tokyo Drift came out, it wasn't intended to be anything like out of the timeline or set up for something like of a future event in the Fast and Furious saga. It was meant actually because Too Fast and Too Furious was so critically panned um, and did not do as well as the first one. They actually were thinking about doing sets of like anthology films set to different like racing periods, um, not oh. periods racing styles so drifting was a big thing so they made tokyo drift and that again didn't do very well um it wasn't like hated but the box office numbers were just terrible um and then that's how we get fast and the the fast and furious 4 movie that eventually brings everything in the original cast back together. So yeah, Tokyo drift was originally meant to be just like an anthology film and they would go from there. So they definitely had to do some, some backtracking to get these movies in the order that they are now. That is really, really interesting. Um, I mean, we'll just kind of move on to the next segment here to which we've already done, which is franchise inquiry instead of being fall in where we talk about the messages and meanings, I don't really, I never thought that that would be something I would do about a Fast and Furious movie. So instead of talking about that, I'm talking about what I'm so intrigued by, by how this film became and still is a successful franchise. And we've kind of been talking about it, but I'm, I'm pulling up the box office numbers here. So Too Fast, Too Furious, the second film, on a budget of $76 million, made... 236 million worldwide. So it made about 30 million more than the first film, which is pretty good for a sequel. That's pretty good. But Tokyo Drift, on, uh, it's not going to give, tell me what the budget is, made $158 million. So like $100 million less. So either, I, I, that could partially be a little bit of the reaction to the second film and also just the third film, but. Clearly, there's some this struggled a lot around this time period, which is so interesting. I, how did how does this franchise continue? Because I really don't get how so many people would be invested in. Because like I can get understand like a specific group of people, specific demographic being interested in these, but enough people to warrant the franchise that it is just blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason Too Fast and Too Furious did. It actually grossed 
less than the original Fast and Furious at the domestic box office. The overseas box office is what potentially um, pushed it over the top of the first one. And then with Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, that only made $62 million domestically. So uh, everything from that really came overseas, especially because it was called Tokyo Drift. So overseas kind of amplified that number but yeah this franchise was really um was really in trouble and then they found a way to get diesel back um and the rest is history because obviously the last two movies in this franchise have been billion dollar grocers at the worldwide box office um and even the ones that haven't been a billion they're they're up there. They're close. Um, this this franchise has made a ton of money. It blows my mind. I, I think it's so interesting um, to look at because I'm right. I'm looking at the domestic and international numbers. If it wasn't for the international box office, I really don't think that we would have had anything. I, I don't think we would have had a third film. I, I really don't. So very, very interesting to see. I am intrigued. Obviously, we're going to have to wait to talk about Toyo Drift, which we're getting through these films so fast. I, for those of you that don't know, rarely do I record an episode twice a week. I normally do one a week. But Matt and I, were recording these twice a week, and then in the next few weeks, we're going to be doing three episodes a week because I just want to get through these as fast as possible. But I'm also trying to get through them before Fast 9. So we're going to have to wait till Tokyo Drift, which will be really soon. But I, I just I wonder what it is that kept people coming back. You know, that they saw that there was a new trailer or that there were tickets on sale or, or however it worked, or they saw a preview while they were in theaters. What made people decide, oh, it's a new Fast and Furious movie. I want to go see that. How did people not immediately lose interest after one or two not so great films is beyond me, but yeah, I guess that's history. I, I, we're just trying to make sense of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the reasons, like, is after Tokyo Drift came out, it was very clear that, you know, this franchise might be over, but when they announced fast and furious, which is the fourth one, a lot of people were intrigued because it was announced. The original cast is coming back and not just Brian and Dom. You were getting Letty. Um, you were getting Mia you know, these characters were coming back from the first one. So it was like, oh, okay. We're, you know, fans were like, well, we're getting a continuation from really the first movie. So I'm willing to give this, a, like, I'm willing to give this a shot. And then to Vin Diesel's credit, I will say he does listen to the fans in the fact that after Fast and Furious came out, there were people that were, he literally like on a social media site said, well, who would you want to see added to this franchise? You know, let me know. And people said, we want the rock and boom, fast five comes out and they go out and get Dwayne Johnson and they bring him in. Um, so, oh, well, okay. How is, wow. you know, how are these two going to, you know, link up together? That's cool. What's going on there? Then again, oh, well, it would be cool to see 
Jason Statham in the series. What does Vin do? He goes out and they find a way to get Jason Statham in the series. So I think the fact that even though these movies are ridiculous, there's an appreciation from the people that do like this series that these movies are made for the people that really like these movies. And there are fans that think these are good movies and that's fine. Um, I'm not here to say that you can't think in the term of what makes a good movie that they're good. Um, that's, you know, not what I'm here to do or what you're here to do. We're just here to give our opinion on it. So I think the fact that people just appreciate the fact that Vin will listen to fans and do things with this franchise for people that have stuck with it. I, I think that's why there is an appeal to this series that continues to get people to come back. Yeah, I think that that's well said. I, I didn't know those things. I always thought that The Rock was like, when I think of the Fast and the Furious movies, I think of Vin Diesel, The Rock, and Paul Walker, and then Jason Statham. Like, those are the people that seem like they're kind of the tent pole figures of the Fast and the Furious. And then also, um, whatever Dom's girlfriend's name is, but I just, I just don't know her, so I don't remember her. But I think about, like, oh, yeah, the girl who's, like, Dom's wife, girlfriend, whatever. Um, and, and I think that it's interesting that the series, from a production standpoint and in like in pop culture standpoint, just kind of found its way to keep itself in the zeitgeist by doing things either by introducing actors that would be interesting to see and also just reinventing itself to where it became more and more popular to more and more people. You know, like street racing is a very, very specific group, but like the generic action blockbuster is like the biggest movie audience ever. You know, you know like that. So I think that it's kind of genius that from what you're saying, things I didn't know about how actors came into it that, yeah, that if I was into this, not even if I was into it, but if I was growing up in the culture of this time and I was involved in the culture and then suddenly people are like, oh yeah, The Rock's showing up or Jason Statham's showing up or whatever, I'd be like, oh, like that's interesting. I'll go see that. So I think that it just found a way to keep people's interest and reinvented itself to be approachable by the largest movie audience there is, which is the generic action blockbuster and just found its own form in a way that surprisingly is incredibly successful. And it's, I, you look at it, the, how it started, and I never would have guessed that it could have been this successful. And it's just fascinating for me to talk about how they're able to do that. Yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting franchise. How it's become successful has branched off into you know, Hobbs and Shaw, certainly there will be a sequel for that. But uh, again, in the later movies, one of the things, too, that it does really good in Harrison, I'll be super interested when we do more of these episodes, um, you know, whether they're together, whether or not it's listening to you uh, talk about them. What you think of the characters going forward in these movies after Tokyo Drift, because one other thing that they do well is you do start to develop a relationship with the characters that are in this series because the actors and actresses that are here actually do have a very, very good on-screen chemistry. You can almost feel that this group is, you know, the joke, family, um, but they do portray that on screen, and I think that's relatable, and I think that's one of the other reasons that fans come back is because the cast is 
they are very synced together in their performances on screen. And you could believe that these characters care for each other the way that it's portrayed. Well, well said. I think that that's just kind of like part of our cultural feel towards movies. Like I, I would say that in, a, in line with that, one of the reasons that the Avengers films and the Marvel films in general, but specifically the Avengers films are so successful is because that group of people we become familiar with and those actors have chemistry together that it does feel like some type of family or group, so to speak, that we just want to be a part of. Like it's comforting and easy to go to an Avengers movie because I know Tony Stark. I know Captain America. I know Thor. Like these aren't characters that I have to rediscover. Like there's a comfortability that brings them back. And I do agree from the first film. And even as generic and dumb as Brian Paul Walker's character feels in this, like Paul Walker has this weird charisma that makes me interested in him, even though I think his character and his performance is like completely flat. So I think it's interesting that that I, I can completely see that why people would be interested in this family and the comfort of that. Because I already am. I'm only two films in and I'm so intrigued. Like, how does how does this family become so endearing to people? Which I just, I don't know. It seems like it's a, a little bit lucky. That's kind of what I thought before we started this episode. But the more we talk about it, I think that it was just a lot of things that were intentional that like, we're not making the best movie ever, but we're making, you know, all the things we've been talking about. Right. Which is so fascinating. So, wow. I guess we've, I, it's interesting when I, kind of closing this segment and this episode out here. When I was planning this episode and I was sending the format over to Matt and Rob for the first one, I came up with the idea of franchise inquiry because I just personally, one, I didn't know what the heck I would talk about with Fallen, so I replaced it. But I was, too, extremely curious. How does it become this successful? I, I don't get it. I've never had an interest in these films, and now I'm watching them because the Fast 9 trailer made me interested, and I've heard good things about it, yada, yada, yada. But like, how is something this ridiculous become so successful? And then I was like, okay, we kind of answered that question with the first episode. How are we going to do it again with the second episode? And it's interesting how every single movie kind of creates new ways to have this conversation over and over again. So I wonder what's going to happen next time. Right? Yeah. So anyway, that's enough about Too Fast, Too Furious. We've talked about the movie long enough. So we will we'll close out the episode here, Matt. I really, really do appreciate you being here. And I also hugely appreciate you letting me be on your Loki episodes. That is a ton of fun. So. Give us one more plug for your show and uh, kind of close us out here for yourself, Matt. Thank you again for being here. Oh, yeah. No, th I mean, thank you. It's, uh, you know, something like this I can imagine would be, you know, very hard to talk about. Certainly some of the other movies are, um, they'd probably be easier to do a solo episode on, but it makes the uh, it makes the the movie so much more intriguing uh, you know especially for myself um even though i don't like it just to talk about it with somebody is a lot of fun um just cuz you don't like a movie doesn't mean it can't be fun to talk about so i'm right. really appreciative to to be able to do these episodes with you and it's always a a blast and a pleasure to have you on anytime i can for you know, anything on Matt goes to the movies. Um, so I appreciate you giving me another opportunity to plug that show, which again, uh, any listeners of this show, if you're looking to, you know, listen to another podcast that's about movies, certainly it's much appreciated. You can find Matt goes to the movies uh, just by searching on any major um, 
platform where you get podcasts. We have a Facebook page by the same name, just Matt Goes to the Movies, Instagram, TikTok. A um, couple of YouTube things are up as well. So anywhere that you can find podcast information, Matt Goes to the Movies is there. Uh, I have a ton of fun doing it, and I look forward to hopefully being uh, back for Tokyo Drift. Yeah, definitely. I, I really do appreciate being here. And of course, all the links to Matt's show will be in the show notes. But I also want to say, I I should have said this earlier because it would have been so smooth, but my brain was thinking of other things. I, and I've said this before. We were kind of joking about how the Fast series and the saga, one of the things that brings people back is the comfortability with the characters and with the team or group that they are. And that's one thing that I have to say about Matt's podcast, Matt Goes to the Movies, is that listening to podcasts is difficult for me. And maybe I shouldn't say that because I have one, but it is because I'm not... It seems like every single time I have to reacquaint myself with the person who's speaking, even though it's the same person every time, if that makes any sense. Um, And so coming back to your episode, and especially because we've developed a friendship, but even before that, always felt extremely comfortable. And you and Rob together bring a comfortability that makes listening to your episode, no matter what it's about, uh, really fun. For example, the Mortal Kombat episode, I can't say enough good about that. I've never seen that movie. I probably won't ever. But hearing Matt and Rob talk about it was just a ton of fun because the way that they have a flow of a conversation that it just feels like you're a part of listening to. So I can't recommend Matt's show enough. Go check it out. It's in the show notes. And Matt, as always, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to, of course, recording Tokyo Drift if we're able to do it. I think we, we are, if I remember right. If not, we'll definitely see each other for Loki and then on through the road to Fast Night. So thank you so much for being here, Matt. I really, really do appreciate it. But once again, my name is Harrison. This is The Basement Binge. And that is all for now. Ciao, ciao. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.